First Samuel chapter 4. The Ark of the Covenant, Israel has took into battle against the Philistines, but the Ark has not delivered Israel. Israel was very excited when the Ark of the Covenant came into battle. They were joyous. They gave out a great shout. It scared the Philistines so much that they were so excited that it actually rallied the Philistines to fight against them. But there's a point here that religious people can be very superstitious. In many parts of the world, and in particular in Central and South America, there's a mixture of superstition and Catholicism. And that rules over the people. And uh, the people are ruled by fear. There's spells, there's black magic mixed in with uh, the doctrine of the Catholic Church. But it doesn't stop there. In Southeast Asia, uh, there, some of the countries, they reenact the crucifixion of Jesus. And some people will take it upon themselves to actually hang themselves upon a cross. But it's sort of hard to crucify yourself in this respect. It's hard to get that last nail in. Think about it. <laughs> But uh, all of this superstition, this diluting of true Christianity is cultish behavior, and it's promoted by the devil himself. And Satan loves to do everything and anything he can to nullify the power of the cross, the cross of Jesus. And in the book of Judges that we just finished, Israel has gone through 200 years of judge rule where everybody had resolved to do what was right in their own eyes, doing whatever tickled their fancy, sort of uh, getting involved in a lot of things that were not of God. And God has grown very weary of the priestly behavior and practices, sacrificings and offerings that are now going on at Shiloh, where was uh, Eli and his sons uh, were the priest. And it's become so corrupt there that the priesthood has become, become so corrupt, in particular, uh, Hophni and Phinehas that God desires to kill them. Now that's harsh. That's, that's in your face judgment. And when God desires to judge, and when he's had enough, and when he says that's enough, there's no one that can stop him. There's no event that can stop him. God is God and he will bring about the judgment he desires. And in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 4, the Philistines have just defeated Israel in a massive victory. They've killed 
34,000 Israelites in battle. Uh, they've killed them with the edge of the sword in hand-to-hand combat and that kind of thing. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of the priest, the high priest Eli, have died in this battle. And Eli himself is an old man, and he is about to die. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 12 through 18. Then a man, man of Benjamin ran from the battle line in that same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it all, the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then then this man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. He said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistine, and there was a great, great slaughter among all the people. Also two of your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off his seat backwards by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was very old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. A courier, a runner, has come from the battle scene, and he has terrible news for those back at Shiloh. He tells Eli of the great slaughter by the Philistines. Eli, your sons are dead. And the Ark of the Covenant, it has been captured. And Eli, very old, he takes this news very hard. He falls off his seat there at the city gate, and he falls off backwards, breaks his neck, and he dies. Eli, the high priest, dies at the news of the Ark being captured and the death of his sons. Eli and his sons have been the guardian of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was a symbol of God's presence. And it's been captured by the, the, the Philistines. And it's more than Eli can handle. It's more than he can take. And he dies a tragic and sorrowful death knowing God has judged him a failure. That's kind of a sad way to go, knowing that God has judged you as a failure. Eli has been a failure as a priest. He's been a failure as a father. Hard words to hear right before you die. Eli was disobedient as the high priest. Uh, He was disobedient with the, the way sacrifices and offerings were given uh, there at the tabernacle. Things have been out of control there at the tabernacle during Eli's tenure. 
God has said to Eli, your sons, they're out of control. And they are corrupt. The, the sons of Eli were so corrupt that people hated coming to Shiloh to worship. And God says, I'm going to judge I'm going to judge them, and I'm going to kill them, Eli. And he has warned Eli about this through a prophet that came, and he's also warned Eli about this through Samuel, the young prophet there at uh, Shiloh. And God is true to his word. He kills Hophni and Phinehas, and he uses the Philistines to do it. Eli dies knowing he failed God. And that is a tragic way to die. What a way to enter into eternity, knowing that you failed God. A life of failure. Now that's a failure. I have a little axiom, and it's major in the majors. Don't get caught up in the non-essentials of life. Eli has procrastinated. He's put off taking action of sinful behavior right in his own family. And it led to a life of regret for Eli. Eli hears the report of the battle. You know, word has come from the battle scene that all these foot soldiers have been killed. His sons have died at the hands of the ungodly Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant has uh, been captured. And the Ark of the Covenant was God's symbol for the Jewish worship there at Shiloh. And it's been captured by an ungodly enemy. And Everything that Eli has lived for was taken away in a moment. In one moment, everything that was important to him has been removed. And it all came about because Eli refused to correct his wayward, corrupt sons. He refused to honor God above his sons, and it says that. Now, we cannot live our lives or live the lives of our children for in and of ourselves. They're their own persons. But we can be a voice of reason in their lives, even when they're grown, even when they're living apart from us. And I take my hat off to any parent who takes a stand for righteousness in their family. And to tell a grown, wayward child what awaits them if their life of sin continues sometimes means you alienate yourself from your children. But it's still a warning, I think, that we need to make for our children, especially for a child's living a corrupt life. Of Eli, it is said by God himself, you honor your corrupt sons more than you honor me. That hits home. We're to love our families. We're to love our children. 
but we're not to put them above God. God requires that we honor him above everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And that means even above family. Now, does God want us to take care of our family? Of course he does. He wants us to raise our family, discipline our children, so forth and so on. He's not against our family. He's for our families. But for whatever reason, Eli, the high priest, the father of Hophni and Phinehas, he would not discipline his own sons. And this leaves God with no other choice but to severely judge Eli's sons for their corrupt, sinful behavior. So let's read of Eli's daughter-in-law who now gives birth to a son, and that's in verses 19 through 22. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, due to be delivered, and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Phineas's wife, obviously, she's full-term pregnant, or near full-term. Here's the bad news of her husband being killed. This sends her into hard labor, and she dies at childbirth. But her son lives, and his name is Ichabod, a purposeful name there meaning the glory has departed from Israel. Here's a child, and that child is kind of like a milestone. He's a, a, a point being made by God. My glory has departed from Israel. And he's given the name Ichabod. The glory of God no longer dwells in Israel at this time. And this child that's born instantly becomes an orphan. Dad has died in battle, and Mom has died at childbirth. Peculiar that God would place a marker. He puts a stamp on it, a symbol, in the form of a child named Ichabod. Now, in the book of Exodus, we see the word kabod, and it's used meaning splendor in reference to God's presence. At Mount Sinai, Kabod appeared to Moses, and it also filled the tabernacle. The presence of God filled the tabernacle. But now the ark, representing the presence of God, has departed from Israel. Israel is defeated by the Philistines, 
and a priestly grandchild is born named Ichabod. Meaning, where is the glory of God? It has departed from Israel. But God cannot remain separated from his chosen people. And we read that even though we are faithless, God is faithful. And God, by his very nature, is faithful to Israel. And he remains faithful to you and I. In 1 Kings chapter 8, God's glory, his splendor, his presence fills the temple once again. And God never gave up on Israel in their many, many times of rebellion. And he still hasn't given up on Israel. And he doesn't give up on the likes of you and I. God's patience with us, his people, is amazing. There was one disciple of Jesus's that Jesus refused to quit on. And the first one you think of, maybe Judas. No, we're not going to talk about Judas. We're going to talk about Peter. (laughs) One disciple who was considered the leader of the disciples, one of the chosen 12 who boasted to Jesus how he would rather die than deny Jesus. Jesus has just finished having the Last Supper with his disciples. He has a disturbing word for the disciples. And we read that in Matthew chapter 26. You may want to turn there. Matthew 26. We'll look at several verses there. Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Jesus gives discouraging news to his disciples. He quotes from Zacharias the prophet. And it basically says how the sheep, the disciples of the flock will scatter when the shepherd is struck. But now here's the good news. But after I, the son of man, have been raised from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. That is kind of by the wayside. It will be important to him later. But Peter still has not learned to listen to Jesus. And in essence, Peter tells Jesus, you're wrong. You've missed this one, Lord. Or how can you say you're wrong, God? Peter manages. (laughs) 
Now, it sounds like Peter's overconfident, and he is for a fact overconfident. But hear his words. Others, even if all other disciples are made to stumble, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus, I will die with you before I will deny you. Jesus does not argue with Peter. He simply tells Peter his near future. Before daybreak, Peter, before the rooster crows announcing morning, you will, an absolute truth, deny me not once, but three times. This probably hurt Peter's feelings. <laughs> Matthew give us this account. Luke gives us a few more details. So turn over to Luke 22, and we'll read the same account. It's just a little different wording. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. Simon, Simon, or Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan has been so bold as to come before the Godhead against Peter. We know that uh, Satan has his right to come before God at periodic times. We don't know what those times are. In the book of Job, we read of one of those occasions. But Satan wants Peter. And he wants him to fail. He wants to destroy Peter. But here's the good news. For Peter and for anyone else who has ever failed in their flesh. It's been said of mankind, we are the most vulnerable in where we think we are strong. And the reason for that is in our flesh, we think we have strength. Did Peter think he would never deny the Lord? Absolutely. Peter was determined he would never deny the Lord. He would go to prison. I'll go to death. It doesn't matter, Lord. I won't deny you. But what did Jesus tell Peter? I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Jesus doesn't argue with Peter. He just tells him what the truth is and that you will deny me three times before morning. But he says, Peter, when you return, when you come back to me, when you have forgiveness, when you're restored, Peter, strengthen your brethren. A future mission for Peter. Then Peter went through his, I'll go to prison, I'll even die before I deny. 
And the Lord again says, before daybreak, you will deny me three times. And the lesson in Peter, in his conversation with Jesus, he is as determined as the flesh can be determined, and that was not enough. Sometimes we program out the work of the Holy Spirit preserving us to be faithful. Peter's determination was not enough to withstand Satan's temptation. And you know the rest of that story. A servant girl accuses Peter of being one of Jesus' disciples, and he vehemently denies it. And he even denied that he knew Jesus, not that he was one of his followers. He says, I don't even know him. Maybe you have learned this. I think I have learned this. I think I understand this. That I am capable of the most heinous of sins or denials to my Lord. And all that you have to do, all that must happen is to be put in for a sinful state of mind and my environment change. If I'm depending on me and my strength, I will fail. I try to prevent this with my walk with the Lord. And I go through a little ritual each and every day of my life. Uh, I get up, shower, go put on the coffee pot. But after the coffee pot is put on and the coffee's brewing, I walk out on my back porch. And I ask God to deliver me from temptation. Deliver me from evil this day. Because I know I am very capable of sinning and shaming my family, myself, being a pastor the whole nine yards. I have that capacity if I'm depending on my flesh to sustain me. I hope I've learned that I need God's protection. I desire that hedge of protection around me and my family each and every day. Peter absolutely was determined that he would not deny Christ. They come to arrest Jesus in the garden. Peter takes out the sword, whacks off Malchus's right ear, the whole thing. Jesus tells him, put the sword away. And then the next time we read of Peter, he's there in the courtyard denying the Lord. But Jesus told Peter, I've prayed for you. What a great thing. Jesus prays for you, and he prays for me. So turn with me, the last turn to, <laughs> John 17, and we'll read how Jesus prays for his disciples, his followers. In John 17, 6 through 11, and I'll read this prayer, but let the words kind of wash over you. Jesus says, Father, I have manifested your name to the men 
whom you've given me. You've given me these out of the worlds. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and they've known them. Surely I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. And all of mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I no longer am in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those who you have given me, for they may be one one as we are one. Jesus prays for us. So let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. And we will ask that God grant this prayer of his son, which we know he will. Father God, sometimes we're just like Peter. We think it's our determination. We think it's our fleshly strength that keeps us going and keeps us walking on the narrow and right way. And we don't see how vulnerable we really are. What a lesson you had for Peter, that the flesh would not sustain him. And Lord, I hope we've learned that, that our flesh is weak, our flesh is fickle. Our flesh comes against you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you did did not desert Israel. Even though the priest and his sons were corrupt, you came back. You gave them your glory. You gave them your presence. And, Lord, I thank you that you're patient with us. You don't quit on us. And, Lord, we're like Peter. Sometimes we boast in our strength that is not strength. It's just pride, and we boast. But, Lord, we don't want to fail you. So, Lord, we ask you to put a hedge of protection around us. Watch over us. Take care of us. Renew our mind, Lord, that we would be thinking on things of you. Put your Holy Spirit within us that we may walk in ways that are according to you, Lord. Don't let us be depending on our flesh in our relationship with you. So, Lord, we pray, fill us afresh and anew with your spirit. And, Lord, we thank you for praying for us. We thank you for going that extra mile on our behalf. And thank you for being so patient with us, so faithful. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.